Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome everyone to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Wise. Actually, I'm broadcasting to you from Atlanta. Lou's up in New Jersey. We're going to have Brad Holcomb on the show today. He's coming to us from Texas, and later in the show we'll have Chris Peel, who is somewhere in the world, although he could be in Kansas at the moment. But before we get to, to that roundup, let me speak with Lou for a moment. By the way, if you're looking for Manufacturing Talk Radio, you can find it at mfgtalkradio.com. You can also find us on iTunes. Lou, how's the weather in New Jersey, and what's the news? Well, it was 37 degrees when I woke up this morning, but I still wore my Hawaiian shirt. I don't start wearing uh, long sleeves until the first real snowstorm, uh, which we did have a little snow a couple of days ago up where I live, but uh, nothing to fret over. Uh, People, of course, think I'm nuts with the short sleeve shirts and the Hawaiians all year, but, uh, you know, that's that's just the way it is. So how's, uh, how's about you? Uh, Atlanta is uh, warm in the 80s, has been overly warm. Uh, global warming is going to fry the southeast portion of the United States soon. So. Uh, well, as long as you're not on the waterfront, then you don't have anything to worry about. However, it may wind up being on the waterfront, Atlanta, as soon as Florida stinks away. That's exactly right. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's uh, let's start this uh, menagerie that we got here today. Uh, last week's, uh, our postscript for the show last week, uh, we had uh, Royce Lowe, our senior international correspondent from France, and Chong Wang from China, uh, talking about uh, the numbers that's going on in, uh, in Europe, France, the UK, Germany, and uh, China, and other parts that I can't pronounce the names. It was a good show. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they had uh, a lot of great information, and it seems as though things are kind of going up, down, and sideways. I don't think that there's any real clear um, uh, vision as to what's going to happen. But per- perhaps today with uh, Brad Holcomb, uh, that he'll give us some uh, insights into uh, the new report that came out today, the uh, ISM PM- PMI number which I won't take all of his thunder away. I'll just say that the number did go up. So that's always a good thing. Uh, What's that? It's a good start. It's a good start. Up is always good. Um, And uh, from the news uh, standpoint, a couple of interesting items. One, the PMI number went up. And uh, also... Alcoa Foundation, uh, one of the largest uh, corporate foundations in the country, has uh, launched a new uh, organization. It is actually a split from Alcoa Foundation, and uh, the new corporation is uh, Arconic. Uh, it's a it is a public corporation. It is a, a non charitable foundation, uh, and it effectively started today. Um, and I wish I could do the kind of numbers they do. Uh, they started off with assets of $330 million, which are going to be using for good works around the world uh, in biodiversity and corporate responsibility, uh, climate change, the World Wildlife Fund, and uh, all kinds of good things. So that, that's a good uh, good piece of information. Now, there is a new... Uh, public relations going to be coming out tomorrow from Arconic, the new Alcoa uh, spinoff foundation, which we're not allowed to talk about. That being said, uh, I, I can say that this to the extent that they are going to be releasing information about their inaugural first grant, and it will be released at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. I suggest if you're interested in hearing about this, Come to Manufacturing Talk Radio, mfgtalkradio.com, and see what that's all about. Uh, It's big. It's going to be really terrific, and uh, it will be up 
at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, Tim, I, I think that's uh, that's it for me. Uh, you know, okay. I don't want to talk about politics or I don't want to talk about um, the election. And um, so we're going to have to dance here for a moment or so. Uh, uh, Mr. Problem, uh, Mr. Holcomb uh, is uh, running a minute or so behind. Uh, so uh, yeah, he's, let's talk he's about usually quite. He's yeah, usually quite busy. Yeah. Uh, let me let me give right. our listeners a little background on Arconic. Uh, Arconic well, actually was was formed out of Alcoa. Uh, they did announce earlier in 2016 that they would be splitting into two separate companies. Alcoa is um, taking the bauxite, alumina, and aluminum products unit along with their um, uh, flat roll products in Warwick, Indiana, and Saudi Arabia, and that will become Alcoa Corporation. Alcoa Foundation has been wrapped over to Arconic. Arconic will be uh, handling all of the engineered products and solutions global rolled products other than the rolling mill operations in Warwick and, and uh, Saudi Arabia. And they will be focusing on turning aluminum and other lightweight materials into engineered products such as turbine blades for, for sectors including aerospace and automotive. So that's Arconic and they will be managing the Arconic Foundation. And it's the Arconic Foundation tomorrow that Lou referred to that's going to do the press release that we can't talk about yet, so we won't. Therefore, so that we'll talk about next week's show um, until Mr. Holcomb uh, appears. Uh, next week, we're going to have Ken Monahan, who is from Shop Floor Blog, which is uh, part of NAM, the National Association of Manufacturers, and it so just so happens that he's going to be on the show on Election Day. And his primary topic of conversation is going to be TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, being that that has become such a, a political um, um, football. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I, I don't know what to call these things anymore. I, I'm trying to keep it clean, unlike uh, some of our politicians. But he's going to be talking about TPP. Uh, NAM is uh, very much in favor of TPP. Uh, they're up at the at the uh, Capitol uh, constantly trying to twist some arms and get uh, all the people uh, on board to recognize that this is a good thing for U.S. manufacturing. And the fact that U.S. manufacturing represents uh, one-third of our economy, uh, you would think that our folks in D.C. would have some kind of uh, respectful uh, attitude about helping manufacture. So uh, I'll, I won't pick on Washington anymore because I think our guest uh, is, has joined us. And uh, Brad, are you with us? I am. I'm glad to be here. Uh, we're glad you're here, too. Yeah, so, I'm sure and Brad's got a great report. Uh, as uh, many of our listeners know, Brad Holcomb is the committee chair with the Institute for Supply Management. He Heads up the manufacturing report on business. He's got a great report for us this this issue. So, Brad, we're anxiously awaiting everything you have to say. Very, very good. Well, it is a it is a good report with the PMI increasing four tenths of a point uh, to fifty one point nine, and that is led by production up one point eight percent to fifty four point six and employment growth of 3.2 percentage points to 52.9, as well as tighter supplier deliveries. That index supplier deliveries is up 1.9 percentage points to 52.2. So those are the stars in this lineup. Um, along with new orders at 52.1, uh, although that's down three points from last month, you know, in the normal course, things go up and down, but we're just pleased that new orders, as well as these other indexes, 
uh, are nicely above 50. Uh, uh, I'd like, I'd, is, Brad, I'd like, I'd like to just throw in a, a comment on that, uh, yes. being that all metals and forges on the uh, manufacturing, metals manufacturing side, uh, we did see a pickup in new orders. And uh, that, that's a, uh, a, a major, major event because this year has been a rocky year at best. So we have seen an upturn, and uh, I thank you for that. Well, very good. I thank you because that uh, certainly uh, adds into our indexes and I think is reflective of what we see going on even more broadly uh, this month and for the last several months, except for August, which was an unexpected and just an, an anomaly in terms of it being below 50. But aside from that, uh, since March forward, we've been, uh, you know, nicely above 50. It's not a strong, robust uh, economy. It does represent modest growth, nevertheless uh, growth. And I see it uh, as, as a nice starting point uh, for the fourth quarter of 2016 to be at 51.9 for October. And as I look around the world, I see the PMI in China at 51.2, the highest in two years, Eurozone at 53.7, also a great start to the, to the fourth quarter. Um, so if there's, there's a sense of, of uh, a pretty good economy. And uh, in addition to the numbers per se, if we look at the comments from our respondents, and keep in mind we've got 350 panelists that are reporting on 18 different industry sectors. And so we get hundreds of comments, uh, verbatim comments, which generally speaking are a little bit more forward looking than the numbers which speak to the specific month. And as I look at the comments that we selected uh, uh, to be representative, they are very largely positive. And, for example, the first one from chemical products is, you know, domestic business steady, export business tending higher. Um, I'll give one more for now, and then we can come back to it. Computer and electronic products, which is uh, our very largest uh, of the 18 sectors, very favorable outlook in the market. you got to like that, and others are similarly reflective. With, with a couple of exceptions. Nevertheless, on the whole, um, we have some optimism going into the fourth quarter to finish off uh, the year. We needed it, Brad. We needed a good report like this. This is exciting. What's going on with uh, inventories and customer inventories and, and the rest? Uh, and I do want to remind our listeners, by the way, that the numbers in this report are in this report is a rollout number. Every month, uh, Brad's uh, dog over there rolls up the numbers. Uh, That's Lincoln. Rolls up the numbers. That's Lincoln. That Lincoln rolls up the numbers. So these are not you know when it when it it rolls up to fifty one point five and then fifty one point nine. Those are improvements. But as Brad has pointed out, fifty point seven is still an improvement. It's still a positive roll up. Just wanted to get that in there for you, Brad. Go ahead. Very good. Yes, uh, inventories of raw materials is the is the fifth uh, sub-index that feeds directly into the PMI. It's down two percentage points to 47.5, uh, contracting now for 16 consecutive months. And as we talk to this uh, each and every month, that continues to represent uh, – a new tighter inventory policy, I think, led by, you know, chief financial officer directives, because there's a lot of money tied up in inventories. And to the extent that you can manage them down and lean and get your suppliers to uh, really stand ready to respond more quickly to inventory needs, uh, the better your bottom line is going to look. So it's, it's in very manageable uh, range at 47 and a half. Uh, nevertheless, that's the only one of the five indexes that's actually below 50. 
and uh, to the extent that it's below 50, it is uh, pulling the PMI down just a bit. Customer you know, Brad, inventories. Yes. Brad, let me just make a comment on that, on the uh, inventories. Uh, the fact that it's low and inventories are tight, what we find generally is that um, customers who call up and are, they're looking to buy certain goods, because their inventories are tight and because they're not placing their orders in a, I guess, a more timely fashion, there's a tremendous pressure on deliveries from yes. uh, from manufacturers, uh, which does make it a lot more difficult for everybody. Well, it does. It's more, it's more difficult. I could also say more challenging, um, but it's, <laughs> it's not necessarily a bad thing to challenge your suppliers and your supply chain uh, to be more nimble, if you will, and, mm. and more responsive. I think that's, uh, you know, that's, that's the direction things are going. And I know over the past, you know, s several years, actually, that's been a trend, and it certainly is continuing, if not tightening. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Uh, cu customer inventories uh, took a nice turn. Um, this one is, is really the only index that we like below 50. It's at 49.5. It's down 3.5 percentage points from the September number of 53. And at 49.5, anything under 50 is considered too low. Um, and in, in that it is regarded as too low, that is finished goods inventories, then there is a propensity to uh, require restocking uh, over the next uh, couple of months. So, again, that's a good thing when customer inventories is, is below 50. That's uh, a little bit different than the rest of our indexes. Uh, continuing on our <clears throat> manufacturing at a glance uh, table to cover off all the indexes that we that we follow and track and trend. Uh, prices of raw materials <clears throat> up one and a half percentage points to 54.5, uh, increasing a little bit faster than last month and increasing for eight consecutive months after declining for about a year and a half straight. But I see, you know, price is still in a very, very manageable uh, space and not at all suggestive of inflation uh, in our minds. So prices are, are in control uh, contained at that level. Uh, next, let's talk about the backlog of inventories. This is, you know, orders that, uh, you know, have come in, in in previous months and are, are managed uh, in terms of a schedule and a queue, but it also represents a buffer for, for production uh, to the extent that there is more production capacity uh, than new orders alone would require, which is the case this month. Production was up. Uh, it utilized the assets and, and resources available. Uh, it uh, covered as many new orders as as, as came in, uh, but also paid into the backlog uh, to the extent of four percentage points. So the backlog at 45.5 is in contraction territory, uh, certainly still at a, at a manageable uh, level there as well. And again, it is a buffer for production, which was uh, on the high side this month. And the next two to me are, are really in interesting to look at as a pair. New export orders representing finished goods uh, manufactured here and sold abroad, 52.5, up, up a half a point. Uh, growing a little bit faster than last month and growing for the eighth consecutive month. That tells me that the dollar is in a range that uh, is, is not a deterrent by any means of our international customers buying U.S.-made manufactured goods. Uh, on the flip side, imports 
being largely imports of raw materials and subassemblies is uh, up three percentage points to 52.0, really uh, in a nice place, growing uh, from contracting last month. And the, the two of them together tells me that commerce is happening and flowing uh, in both directions across the oceans. And those are good things. Uh, Brad, I know you had a special question this month about uh, shipping as it relates to a shipping company. I wonder if you would just review that for our listeners. Yes. Yes, and this one kind of sneaked up on, on some of us that aren't uh, as tuned into, you know, uh, ocean freight logistics as, as others, the Hanjin Shipping Company bankruptcy um, you know, became a, a concern when it uh, went into bankruptcy or filed for bankruptcy. And we wanted to ask our panel uh, what was the impact on their businesses this quarter. And, and by this quarter, we're, we're essentially meaning the last, you know, couple of months uh, and the next couple of months uh, going forward. And the respondents were, I think, quite interesting um, we, we have uh, responses, uh, including not impacted, small, uh, not material impact is the second category. The third category is material but manageable impact. Uh, the fourth category is large material impact, in other words, significant. And then uh, unsure is, is sort of a, a catch-all, if you will. And when you combine the, the first two, not impacted at 51.9% of responses, not impacted, and small, not material, of 29.7%, you're over 80% uh, of our panelists say really didn't have an impact or, you know, very small impact uh, to us. And... You know, the next category, material but manageable impact, was 13.8%, and large uh, material impact, less than 1%, unsure, 4.2%. So it, it was certainly a, a factor, uh, but it didn't, uh, you know, significantly impact our businesses, you know, speaking broadly. You know, meaning that there are always workarounds, and our logistics uh, experts are are constantly looking and planning for those kinds of, of contingencies. Whether it's utilizing uh, competitive uh, ocean carriers or uh, reverting to to air carriage, uh, as w coupled with ground. So uh, it's. Uh, you know, it's something that, that people you know, really dealt with and I think dealt with, uh, you know, very effectively. So how does your overall economy look, both in terms of uh, the length of this cycle, Brad, and maybe uh, how it correlates to GDP? Yeah, let's see. Correlation to, to GDP is, is always interesting. Um, you know, January through October, the average is, is 51% this year, and that corresponds to a 2.5% increase in real gross domestic product uh, when annualized. And if you look strictly at October, you know, as we, as we start the fourth quarter, 51.9% in October for the PMI, uh, that would translate and correlate to a 2.8% increase in real gross domestic uh, product uh, annually. So, so those are the, the correlation numbers. And, uh, again, I think uh, it's, it's really a positive report, you know, well-balanced. And when you combine the actual numbers with the generally positive comments, uh, barring anything unforeseen, I think we're uh, positioned well for a good uh, close to the year, a good fourth quarter, uh, which we started this month. Uh, Brad, to, not to talk politics and not to talk about predictions and forecasts, 
the three topics that uh, we don't like talking about. That being said, uh, how much of the numbers do you feel might be affected by concern of the election in another week, the national election? You know, that, that's always a, an interesting question and a, a tough one to answer, but let me, let me take a shot at it. I go, think go that, well, our, first of all, our panelists are pretty silent on the subject, meaning they're, they got their heads down, they're looking at their order books, they're looking at you know, all the other business indicators around the world, they're talking with their suppliers, they're doing their competitive analysis, uh, et cetera. And that could could in part be because you know they're just very professional, uh, in large part uh, I should say, and also everybody's kind of you know worn out with the election, you know the pre-election stuff that's uh, that's transpiring. Now, uh, having said all of that, uh, I I think that everyone will will breathe a a sigh of relief, if you will, no matter which way this turns out in a, in a week or so, because it'll be done and we'll be moving on in a direction that we more or less, uh, you know, un- understand. So it, there is certainly that, you know, uncertainty factor right now. I don't see it impacting our numbers. On the other hand, when the uncertainty is is over with, if you will, in terms of you know who's going to win the election, then I think that uh, the numbers will will, will take uh, take on uh, you know a new shape uh, of of their own as as a result. I, I think that there's a, a psychological aspect to this more than a practical uh, aspect. Uh, we hear things from our customers who buy raw materials and buy our forgings that. You know, the upper management, they, they made up their mind, but they don't want to release the order yet. They're a little concerned. They want to see how it goes. There's all kinds of this gibberish about right. whether we should place the order or not. Uh, the end result is that whoever's going to be in is going to be in, and whoever's not going to be in is not going to be in, and you're going to wind up having to buy the goods anyway. But there is this psychological holdback. So I, I yeah, don't I don't, I don't, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, you know, I'm thinking back to to previous month's comments where, you know, people are ordering more hand to mouth than uh, than in prior times, as maybe is leading up to this uh, election. Mm. So I think there may be something to that, and then when when the results come in, people will have a have a direction whether they're you know their candidate wins or not we're going to know which which direction uh we're going to go and uh we'll be we'll be all be happy to be beyond this uh you know election day i'm not I sure think. what i'm yeah. going to watch on i'm not sure what i'm going to be watching on television after next week <laughs> um how about jeopardy <laughs> <laughs> reruns re, re, re reruns of Jeopardy. Or... You're, you're showing your age. <laughs> uh, Brad, one of the things that I always find interesting in the PMI report, and it's usually way down at the bottom, and that is on the buying cycle uh, and capital expenditures. I know that you yeah. talked last December about capital expenditures. You did the update in May at the ISM conference on capital expenditures. Is that still going along as you predicted, or is it uh, softer or stronger? I really haven't uh, kept up with it. Well, it's it's kind of, you know, ebbed, ebbed and flowed uh, a little bit this year, uh, you know, within a range. But if we look at the current numbers, you know, we cover three different categories in terms of, of buying policy, which one can translate into, you know, how if I place an order today, how long is it going to take me to get my stuff, right? And the categories right. are capital expenditures, production materials, and MRO supplies. You know, three very, very important uh, categories. Um, 
And in capital expenditures this month, the average days, you know, increased from 132 last month to 136. So, you know, four more days uh, average to essentially uh, get your, 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 you know, capital uh, expenditure requests or requirements. And, right. and so the direct directionally, it's going to take a little bit longer. And that's really a good thing because, you know, it suggests that the capital expenditure, the capital equipment uh, providers or builders um, are, you know, have, have tighter order books themselves this month than they did last month. So I see that as a good thing. And as, as we talk, you know, quite often, uh, capital expenditures can, can often expand in the fourth quarter uh, because if, if the year has gone well enough, the chief financial officers will open up the purse strings and approve more projects to actually spend the budgets that were anticipated or planned earlier in the year. Uh, they, I think expenditures in this category have been you know, relatively low We'll find out in December when we publish our semi-annual report as to, you know, where capital expenditures came out. Um, but uh, you, you could look for, uh, if these numbers are a good indication, an increasing level of expenditures in the fourth quarter. And people need to be mindful that it's going to take a little bit longer to, to get your equipment. Well, Brad, we appreciate you going through this report with us. Uh, I, I know that uh, there will be another report later this week. We're going to be interviewing uh, Tony Nieves, who is Brad's counterpart on the non-manufacturing side. So, Brad, thanks for being with us on the manufacturing side in that update. Uh, uh, before we, Thank you. Mm-hmm. Before we depart, I'd like to share with you, uh, Brad, that uh, this Friday is – four years, uh, sorry, three years that uh, we are doing this show and you were on our very first show. So I want well, to thank excellent. you for all your support. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's great to be here. You've got a great uh, product uh, to cover pertinent issues for your expansive audience. Well, thank you very much. And again, we appreciate you being with us. Take care. Talk to you next month. Bye. Okay. All right. Take care. Thanks, Thanks Brad. I, I just want to remind everybody that if you're looking for this report, it is at the Institute for Supply Management.org under News and Research. You'll find both the manufacturing and non-manufacturing reports. Non-manufacturing will be out in a minute. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to be back with Chris Keel, who's going to talk to us about the credit manager's index report that was just released October 31st on Halloween. So we'll be back after a few words from our sponsors. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. 
Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're here with Chris Keel, who is with Armada Corporate Intelligence. Chris also is an economist with the FMA, Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International. He's also a, an economist with the National Association of Credit Managers. That's NACM.org. Chris, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Good to be here. We appreciate having you on every month and uh, look forward to your report. How's Credit Managers Index looking considering the ISM reports so rosy? Are you going to be the uh, agent of gloom and doom again? <laughs> now, come on. Last month I was very <laughs> upbeat, and, and as and as I mentioned before, the CMI has a tendency to sort of predict the PMI just a little bit. And last month we were very rosy. And, of course, the PMI this month was very rosy. The problem is, and here's the uh, doom and doom part. Here's the, um, here's the unless. Yeah. <laughs> the unless. The, the CMI this month was not bad, but it was not quite as exalted as it was the month before. So we're still in, in very positive territory. We're still looking at some good numbers. But what we began to see was a little bit of the bloom coming off the rose when it comes to kind of the advanced warnings. The actually the improving part was what we call the unfavorable factors, which are things like disputes and accounts after collection and slow pays and all that kind of stuff. Those actually got better. <clears throat> but we saw a little bit of a decline in sales. We saw a little bit of a decline in applications for new credit. Some of that is probably seasonal. Uh you begin to see a little bit of a reduction in the manufacturing sector this time of year. As Brad was pointing out, it kind of surges right at the end uh, when people start looking at their budgets and realize they have some money to spend. But this is kind of the doldrums time, and I think some of that was reflected in the CMI. Well, that sounds like uh, it's – although as I look at the uh, credit manager's index report, it does look very positive for this month. Mm -hmm. the, the, mm -hmm. the positives are really quite strong. Yeah, and it's really just in comparison to last month because <clears throat> last month was such an exceptional month. We saw numbers we haven't seen in a year and a half, two years. Uh, so it's not that we went negative. It's just that the wild enthusiasm that we saw last month was a little bit less in evidence. Uh, and that's probably a good thing in the long run because I don't know that <clears throat> we're at a point that we could sustain that kind of, of activity for very long without creating kind of problems on the other end. I mean, if you look at the economy in general, we are now starting to see the development of growth problems. We've not had to deal with those in a long time, but we're finally starting to see some inflation. Right now, as a good thing, we've been needing it for a while. The trick is keeping it from getting to be a problem. So at the moment, we're not worried, but if it keeps on current trends, we'll be worried in about six months. <laughs> well, they tell my kids, uh, the folks who are, are saying that there hasn't been any inflation over the last couple of years, must not do the grocery shopping in the family. Well, and that's, that's <laughs> what makes economists so popular is that we don't count food and fuel. Those are too volatile, <laughs> and and it messes up our models, and and we just, you know, we can't make heads or tails out of it because they can be violently up and violently down in the matter of days. And so from a kind of projecting standpoint, we look at core inflation and we assume that things like food and fuel will make their way into other prices, like fuel will show up in freight costs and it'll show up in airfare. And food prices, even if we don't count them, will eventually show up in things like restaurant meals and you know grocery expenses. So it's not that we ignore them. We just try to kind of set them aside for a while. Well, I'm very proud to uh, state that here in the state of New Jersey, we are getting a 10% increase in our automobile gas uh, next week, I believe. There you go. 23 cents a gallon. Haven't had an increase in 26 years. So uh, I'm very pleased. I'm very happy about it. I want to make sure that Mr. Christie, uh, Governor Christie, is pleased with it. And maybe he'll fix the damn roads. 
which would be a well, nice thing to do. Well, that's the thing. You know, if if this money goes into these much maligned highway funds, it's a good thing because you know we're hearing an awful lot of talk about infrastructure. We all know that it needs to be done. But then you start asking that tough question, uh, how do you plan to pay for this? And neither of the candidates for the presidency have come up with anything that is even remotely feasible. I mean, Trump is like, oh, I'm going to get the private sector investors. They're going to do it for a tax break. And it's like, excuse me? No, they're not. Uh, They never have. Clinton's (laughs) equally big. Um, She's basically saying, oh, we're just going to tax rich people. And it's like, yeah, no, they're not. Um, you know, that has not worked for the last 30 years. So at the end of the day, it kind of comes back down to, you know, we need to put money in the highway trust fund. That's what it's for. And we have not added to it in a long time. So New Jersey will not be alone. There will be many other states that go that same route. Some already have. Uh, many others have it in the works because, it's either that or you start naming potholes and selling the naming rights. You know, it's just. <laughs> and the big holes, we'll call them Christie. Exactly. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, if they're big enough, water sports, you know, it's like. Yeah. <laughs> like you, yeah. you can do some skiing, you know. It's just, well, you know, I actually, I just heard uh, something uh, within the last two days. Uh, talking about the uh, New Jersey 23-cent gas increase, that is very conceivable that we're going to get a second one in Mm -hmm. January or February, that this has been kind of held on the side secretively uh, to get us used to the idea that taxes are going up. So they're giving it to us piecemeal. Exactly. And this conversation has been taken. The logic is that the price per gallon of gas has fallen so far that even if you added 50, 60, 70 cents in taxes, people are still going to be far ahead of where they were a year or two ago. And the conversation has been around, can we expect these gas prices to stay low, i.e. oil prices to stay low? And every report that's come out of International Energy Agency or any of the others says, yeah, oil prices are not going anywhere. They're going to stay in that 45 to maybe 60 range indefinitely because there's no there's no real mechanism in place to restrict production. Uh, consumption is not going to get too carried away. So the logic is, well, you know, we're going to get cheap oil for a while, so now is our big chance to hike the gas price. The trick will be if and when oil prices do start to come back up, will these price increases be reneged? And that has never been the case. So at some point <laughs> at some point it's it could get sticky again because if the oil price goes up and the price of gas goes up and those taxes are still there, uh you're gonna have pretty expensive gas. For the time being, that's not a risk. We're probably looking at a national norm of, you know, even with these new taxes, 280, 290 a gallon, which is certainly more than it's been recently. But most of us remember those four and five dollar gallon days. So, no, no doubt about that. Uh, first, a couple of weeks, maybe a month back, OPEC was talking about getting together and reducing production. Did that ever happen, or did they just get together and break bread? Well, they got together and complained, and they ended up with an agreement that they might possibly perhaps restrict production to where it might have been possibly if everybody says it's a good idea all the time. And (laughs) it's basically an example of how weak OPEC has become. It no longer controls world oil. Uh, The majority of the world's oil comes from non-OPEC members, the OPEC members themselves have such radically different economic circumstances that they're just not prepared to give up revenue, even if it's restricted. You know, it's getting the Middle Eastern countries on board, probably not a huge Trump problem, but Nigeria, Venezuela, Angola, they're countries that don't want to play. And then you look at the major oil producers of modern times, it's the U.S., it's Canada, it's Russia, it's Mexico, none of whom are OPEC members. So I think that they've 
basically been handed a an object lesson in restricted power, and there's not a whole lot they can do. They're they're going to try, I think, to freeze production, but even that's not necessarily in the cards. Um, frankly, even Saudi Arabia can't afford to give up uh, much more revenue because they've got. As compared to 20 years ago, their budget is bigger. They're already cutting government spending. So it's a different world, and right now it's a buyer's market, not a seller's market. Where is Russia in terms of what it has to do, and you know, where does the oil price have to be in order for them to earn a profit? Last I heard, they were somewhere well above 50 to, to sell a barrel at a profit, and that's not where oil is selling. No, and it depends on where the oil is coming from in Russia. I mean, on average, it needs to be in that 50 to $55 a barrel range. But in reality, some parts of Russia can produce oil at a much cheaper cost and make money off it. The challenge for Russia <clears throat> is that they're going into their third year of recession the government just announced that it's going to really slash spending, like a 27% cut in education, in health, even in the military. They cannot do without revenue. So even if the price is going to drop below profitability, it's now a cash flow issue. You know, yes, we're not making as much money on it as we'd like to, but we need the cash flow, and, and we're going to sell it regardless. Well, it also looks in terms of uh, the strength of economies, our neighbors to the north and south appear to be doing well. Uh, Canada uh, looks like it's coming back a little bit. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think it's done a pretty good job of managing its commodity dependence. It's not making the money off oil and gas that it once did, but it's making money off food, which is the other big thing as far as Canada is concerned. Its manufacturing sector is relatively healthy. Uh, the Canadian dollar has been not prohibitive, uh, but it also hasn't uh, introduced too much additional competition. Mexico is, is kind of as Mexico has always been. It's almost three countries. The northern tier doing pretty well. It's the manufacturing sector kind of fitting into its new role as an adjunct to the U.S., the southern part of Mexico is still as poverty-stricken as it always was. And, and frankly, that's where most of the migrants that we're now getting come from. And then the middle of the country is, is kind of tourism, government business, kind of business as usual. Um, but in general, Mexico does well if the U.S. does well. And of late, the improved manufacturing sector has certainly helped the Mexican manufacturing sector along the way. Well, I'm really glad to hear that because how else are they going to pay for the wall? That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like and I, I saw a video the other day where Canada is the one that's seriously thinking of building a wall just to keep those of us who just, like, I just can't take it anymore. I'm going to move to Winnipeg. Um, so... So they're going to stop us. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure if this is true or if it was just one of those Internet memes, but apparently the Queen of England has offered to welcome us back um, if we're we're interested. Actually, I called called our uh, senior uh, international correspondent there last week and asked him if I could come back. And he said, (laughs) I don't believe that we're going to let you. (laughs) <laughs> exactly You know I just, I just keep thinking that You know we just have to Have to sort of make some changes You know we just admit the revolutionary war Was a mistake you know get the king Back um, apologize To Canada for what The 1812 and give them Detroit Back you know acknowledge That Texas always has been an independent Country and should probably stay one You know so. uh, well, we, we gotta do, do some expensive. Chris, you're going to have to do some uh, late-night humor stuff on the economy. (laughs) Yeah, no. It's it's kind of like I don't think we're yet desperate enough that late-night economic humor is going to make much of a dent. (laughs) (laughs) Chris, talking Uh, about the 
the manufacturing sector, which is a sector that uh, our show sponsor, All Metals and Forge Group, is in. And I know the ISM report is uh, rosy this month, and the credit manager index is, is rosy this month. Nonetheless, capital investment continues to be a drag. Uh, when does that break, or does it break in the near future? You know, it kind of depends on, on a couple of factors. What we have seen with sort of the capital expenditure rate is that it's not far from normal. Normal is somewhere between, if you're looking at capacity utilization, it's somewhere between 80 and 85%. We've been hovering at about 76, 77, occasionally dipping to 75. So we're within shouting distance of normal. We just ran the fabricators and manufacturers job shop survey, the FFJSCR worst acronym in history. The what is year, that? It, <laughs> what was that again? It's the Forming and Fabricating Job Shop Survey. Um, and it is aimed at the smaller company, which many of these surveys aren't aimed at. And one of the things that was interesting in this last quarter's report is that the small to mid-sized job shop-sized company is probably either at an increasing or stable level when it comes to capital goods accumulation. What we have heard, and I think it was reiterated by Brad in the previous section, the machine tool makers are still getting orders. They've still got a pretty solid book. They're coming with a caveat. The buyers are saying, I want this machine. I want to be on the list. I don't want it right now. I'm I'm waiting to see what happens with the election. I'm waiting to see what happens with whatever it is they're waiting for, interest rates, whatever. And once those cautionary situations are dealt with, then they'll start buying. Um, I don't think we're at an overcapacity situation, at least not a serious one. Um, we're not at norm quite yet, but it was not two, three years ago that we were sitting at 66% capacity utilization, 65%. That's serious, serious slack. I mean, that's when companies have no reason to buy new machines, no reason to hire, no reason to do anything because there's way too much slack in their system. Right now we have a little bit of slack. We could tighten it up, but it's not at a crisis level. Well, that's, uh, that's encouraging because that's one of the things we've been kind of waiting for. And, and it also, you mentioned interest rates. Uh, is the interest rate going to get kicked up in November? My bet was December. Yeah, I think it's pretty clearly December. The The bank has been pretty explicit about what they have in mind. There's not a lot of mystery to it, and they've been talking almost sort of directly that we're going to raise rates by a quarter point, maybe a third of a point uh, in December. The bigger conversation now is what happens in 2017. Um, there is kind of a consensus view that rates will go up once or twice during the course of next year. The issue is, does it go up half a point? Does it go up a full point? Uh, most see interest rates 2%, 2.5, maybe 3 by the end of next year. And that obviously depends on you know, further economic expansion. One of the challenges right now, and you hear a lot of economists talking about the next recession and all that sort of stuff, generally what happens before you get another recession is you get a big growth spurt, which kind of drives the economy high. The Fed steps in, raises interest rates, you try to rein in inflation, and that throws you into a recession. The one that we're dealing with now probably more accurately is the recession we never got completely out of. So there's not a next one coming. There's just a continuation of this very slow recovery quasi-recession that we've been in since 2008-2009. And under those circumstances, the Fed doesn't have a real impetus to raise rates. Matter of fact, uh, they haven't raised rates yet this year, and they were going. They've been talking oh, almost yeah. every other every other month. We're going to raise it. We're going to raise it. We're going to raise it. And they never did. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this has been a great, great ex explanation of how inaccurate economists can be. You know, the old joke <laughs> is that we we have predicted twenty three of the last three recessions. 
Um, so. <laughs> So how is the rest of the world doing? I mean, we hear about China, you know, in, in its difficulties. I just heard, and, and I want to come to you to verify the figure, that China's debt-to-GDP ratio is, you know, we're sitting at a um, 107%. They're sitting at 250%. Yep. I read, yep. was that accurate? Yep, it is very accurate. The only major country with a higher debt-to-GDP is, is Japan. You know, theirs is about 270%. The difference between us and China and a fundamental one is that this is kind of the state owing the state. It's state-run banks and state-run companies. So at the end of the day, there's not this clamp down on the debt because you're owing it to yourself. In terms of how the Asian countries are going and, and looking at PMI data outside the U.S., the good news this month is that you had a nice big return in all of the major Asian countries. Taiwan was up. China was up. Japan is up. South Korea is still under 50, but it's going in the right direction. It's going north now. You've seen a little bit of improvement even with Vietnam. And that's good news. I mean, watching the Asian states start to get a little bit of a head of steam because as recently as two or three months ago, they were back in the 40s. So now they're up in the 50s, and that's where they, you know, can start to see some progress. And we now depend as much on those Asian economies as, as anybody. We buy from them. We sell to them. Japan has been in it so long, they don't know which way is up. Well, and that's, you know, the thing about Japan that we always forget, and it may be a good object lesson for us, too, even with all of Japan's turmoil and all of its 10 years of this, that, and the other, it's still the third largest economy in the world. And it's, it's an example of how you can have a chronic disease and still survive. I mean, Japan is still a major competitor. Anybody who works in the machine tool business knows that its major competitors are Japanese companies. And the country as a whole has relatively low unemployment, you know, it still has the budget to handle what it wants to handle. It's just not growing the way it once did. And it's it's hard sometimes to recognize that even though you've had a run of bad luck economically, you still maintain a very strong presence in the world. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because people talk about Germany and they talk about Britain. And it's like, yep, they're behind Japan. <laughs> so... <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison. Well, Chris, we appreciate you being on the show. I always enjoy having you with us, uh, adding a bit of uh, levity to what otherwise are sometimes stressful numbers. So thanks for joining us again. You're so welcome. We'll talk to you later. Thank you, Chris. Bye-bye. Talk to you next month. Well, I always enjoy having Chris on the show. He, he always uh, adds that little bit of levity that, that breaks up uh, – Numbers that sometimes can make you want to slit your throat. <laughs> well, Lewis, okay. it's been a, a very positive show for us. We've had a lot of good information, a lot of very positive information this month. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, January. Because <laughs> Janu January is the second tier of uh, the growth pattern in manufacturing. You got yes, September, right. October, November, December it drops down, and January comes January fifteenth. Typically, uh, everything opens up, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm expecting a good 2017, and all the uh, propaganda that I've been uh, reading and uh, absorbing shows that 2017 could be a good year, and everything seems to be going in that direction. That's good, because then the nonsense of the election will be over. They will raise interest rates so they can stop talking about that for a couple of months, and maybe someone will make some spending decisions and drive machine tool sales up, and we'll start to move forward. That's, that's true, and, and uh, hey, maybe even uh, Congress will get back to work. That's a long shot, I think. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't think, that, I don't think that's going to happen. I think we have to start with a whole new constitution, a whole new concept. Uh, maybe Bernie Sanders is right. Maybe we should go socialist. Uh, 
but we'll see how that plays out. And that okay, kind of wraps Jimmy. us up for Manufacturing Talk Radio. Lou's been great to chat with you uh, over the airwaves again, and we'll be back next As always. week. Uh, next week, we've got a couple of interesting uh, guests on our show, and we will be back with you then next Tuesday, November 8th, which is Election Day. I know you're all going to be thinking about the election. If you want to get some escape from it, tune in to Manufacturing Talk Radio at mfgtalkradio.com. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.